friends, we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on the Voice of America. Voice of America. Sporty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. This is VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. Welcome to the October 25th edition of the Sunny Side of Sports. The Confederation of African Football, CAF, will be represented by five teams at next month's FIFA World Cup in Qatar. They are, in alphabetical order, Cameroon, Ghana, Morocco, Senegal, and Tunisia. Now, three of the five, Cameroon, Ghana, and reigning African champion Senegal, have reached the quarterfinals at previous World Cups. The indomitable Lions of Cameroon advanced to the final eight at Italy 1990. Another pride of Lions, the Lions of Taranga of Senegal, made it to the quarterfinals during their debut World Cup appearance at Japan, South Korea 2002. And the Black Stars of Ghana reached the quarterfinals at South Africa 2010. No African team has ever advanced to the World Cup semifinals or final. In an interview with Iron Mike Mbonye, CAF instructor Busari Hakim said he believes an African team could break through to the final four or even the title game in Qatar. The major reasons why at this present moment we have not gotten it right as an African note, if you look at our players in and in and out there who are playing in the European setting, they are all doing well in their various clubs. But when it comes to the issue of the national teams, we find it to be difficult in terms of uh, the programming and the calendars of uh, the league, both in different African countries as a full. Except the North African uh, country, I think their own is about uh, 80, 70, 80, 90 percent uh, done. But other African countries, we are still finding it very difficult. One. Second, if you look at the uh, equipment ratings, majority of our players are seen over there, and what we have been facing in here has been another one of the biggest problems. But when we talk about raw talent, I think we will have it more than the European settings, the Asians. They can call because by the time our players play in there and they go over there, we see that they excel exceedingly more than what they are doing here. Are you saying that the five teams going to the FIFA World Cup, we shouldn't expect much from them? What is, what is the point you're trying to make, sir? I can tell you we expect much from them, but uh, the basic problems we are facing that really makes this problem have not been solved for a long time is what I've first said. Okay. And, but I still believe strongly now for this year that we're going, majority of all these clubs now have been playing all the top clubs like Ghana, playing against Germans and all that, they have been testing their strength works. But they still need to play more games because uh, the Europeans, they are more prepared. And if you look at all their clubs, where a majority of them are playing to, they are monitoring and they are... But when it comes come into competition proper, it wasn't the same uh, scenario. But I believe African can still go beyond the quarterfinal, which uh, Nigeria has made a mark, which uh, uh, Ghana has made a mark in that, uh, Senegal has made a mark. So I think Cameroon uh, too has made a mark in that format. So if you can still go beyond the quarterfinal, I think it's a stake for us, and we can still do more better. But strongly, when it has come to South Africa, 
that would have been our best time, but we didn't have a very compact team at that point in time. But these particular ones now, the countries who are, it's, it's quite un unfortunate that Nigeria is not there, but we have to give support to all African countries who are there. But by special grace of God and with what we have in terms of decks now, and with the, with the settings of uh, the CAF uh, president indicating us all the things that are presented in Africa, I think Africa will go beyond semi-final this time around. Okay. Amongst the five African teams that are going, is there anyone you feel that uh, is in a very bad group or what is called or term group of death? Uh, for anything in football that we call group of death, we normally note it like that on paper. Because football at times you have a very good teams, and then when the team goes into a competition with high or low psychology, they might not get it right. The, the very year when we have a Senegal coming out with the lack of uh, Kamara, Diof, Nobody expected much from them, but for the nation's court, they play in Nigeria, yeah, we saw they have a very solid team, and they went and proved everybody wrong in Africa over there. So we could see some African countries too that are going in, into the game presently. Some of the players who are in there, for, they are doing very, very great well in their clubs. So going there with the high, high numbers of uh, readiness, they can still get something out on that competition. And there's no pushover until the match is being played. It's not about name of a country now. It's about what you really want to offer. And it's work up. It's a class. That's Busari Hakim, a Confederation of African Football instructor. And he spoke with Iron Mike Mbonye in Lagos, Nigeria. Former Australian football star Tim Cahill says he's excited about watching African stars like Sadio Mane at next month's World Cup tournament in Qatar. In this encore sunny side of sports presentation, Yawafusu Larbi tells us more from Accra, Ghana. Tim Cahill had a decent football career. He played most of his career at senior level for Everton Football Club in the English Premier League. For his country, he scored their first World Cup goal, played in four World Cups from 2006 to 2018, and has scored the most goals for Australia at the World Cup. These days, he is not in the space where he runs a lot chasing balls and trying to knock them into the net. He's an advocate for football, going to different countries across the world to spread the gospel of the sports that has largely become known as the beautiful game. Kehul also works now as one of Qatar's legacy ambassadors for this year's World Cup. With only a few days to go, he is already looking forward to it. I think um, it's exciting, you know, to be able to finally be here, <clears throat> um, and especially after countries not being able to travel for so many years uh, to host the biggest tournament in the world in Qatar first of its kind in, in, in the Middle East is exciting because we're sitting in a stadium now, it's air-conditioned, um, the facilities, everything's being prepared, everything around the World Cup, it's the fan experience now, it's all about fans coming, enjoying the hospitality, the culture, the people, and the most important thing is the football, you know, uh, is the group games and, and every country fighting it out to, to get through their group and hopefully do something special. This World Cup will be exciting in many ways. There's a Brazil team that wants to compete again. A German team that has many young and exciting players. Talented United States and Canada teams. And African teams who want to change perceptions of them at this stage. I'm biased because I have to obviously look at Australia. And we have France and um, Denmark and Tunisia. And also with working in Qatar, it's also good to keep a close eye on... Qatar, who have Ecuador, Netherlands uh, and Senegal. 
Um, I have a lot of friends playing in this tournament, a lot of uh, presidents of the federations that I'm close with, and it'll be great to see Cameroon do well. Obviously, Ghana, knowing a few of the players, Wakasa has just signed for our Belgium club, which is exciting. Andre Ou plays in the league. Uh, many African countries with Mane coming here as well. Uh, it, it'll be exciting to see a lot of international talent on show, but talent that's ready to come and perform straight away from their league fresh. For the many African nations, players who will be playing there will want to produce great performances for their fans back home. They will also use the World Cup as a conduit to drive attention to the football being played in their home countries. Cahill says this is important for the growth of the sport. I think they represent um, a pathway for the boys and girls back home in their countries to aspire to. They're going to be playing on these pitches, inspiring the next generation, and the kids are going to be home within their cities thinking that could be me one, one day to their parents. And when you have players like this doing the business, playing in the biggest leagues in the world and playing professionally, um, it's an opportunity for them to say, like, hopefully one day they'll get that chance. and. Uh, their close friends, um, Samueletto, the same. He's now ex-player going into the president of his federation. It's great to see ex-footballers become executives to go to the next level and to um, help their country on all levels of growth across football. Representing your country at any level is a great feeling, none more so than the World Cup, because stages do not come bigger than this. It gives a sense of national pride, the former Australian star says national honour should be on every player's mind. Personally, for players, you have a responsibility to represent your country. Everything you do, your badge, this is, um, you represent a population. When I speak to the Australian national team and to the players, you know the jersey is just with the players for the time being. They don't own the jersey. doesn't matter how good you are. I played in four World Cups. It was never my jersey. It was a jersey that I wore in that time that will be passed on to the next generation. I think the mindset for the whole World Cup is to make it a good experience for your fans, something to remember. And also, you can't win everything. You have to understand that there is a winner and a loser and that um, the game, that's what brings the passion and the excitement. So for the fans travelling here, just enjoy it. So in a few days, the World Cup will be here. It'll be that time to scream out loud again and maybe get our hearts broken again. But that is what the beautiful game is all about. For the sunny side of sports, this is Yalfusilabi in Accra. Sonny Young in Washington, and you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. Let's give a sunny side of sports birthday salute to Hall of Fame basketball player Dave Cowens. Cowens is celebrating his 74th birthday on this Tuesday. He won two NBA titles with the Boston Celtics in 1974 and 1976. Cowens was also named the NBA's most valuable player in 1973. 
Dave Cowens also inspired my jump hook for the mighty Trape Rangers way back when during my basketball playing boyhood days. Happy 74th birthday, Dave Cowens. Follow the sunny side of sports on Facebook and Twitter. My Facebook address is facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny. And my Twitter handle is at VOA Sunny Sports. National Basketball Association action Monday night. The high scorers were John Morant and Desmond Bain, who both play guard for the Memphis Grizzlies. Morant made his first NBA All-Star game appearance last season, and we'll hear from him now in this report by the AP's Chuck Freeman. In the NBA, Memphis topped Brooklyn 134-124. John Morant had 38. Morant says it was Desmond Bain who put on the show with his career-high 38. Before the game, he told me he was locked in, um, and 38 points tell you that he was locked in. So um, big-time game for him, happy, you know, for him to, you know, finally get going, and we just got to keep it up. Portland stays unbeaten, 135-110 over Denver. Philadelphia got their first win, 120-106 over Indy. James Harden had 29. New York Knicks won 15, Orlando 102. Julius Randle had 25. The Raptors used a big fourth quarter to win at Miami. Toronto wins 98-90. Chicago 120, Boston 102. San Antonio 115, Minnesota 106. And Houston got their first win, 114-108 over Utah. The Jazz suffer their first loss. Chuck Freeman. Sporty greetings. This is Masai Ujiri, the president of Toronto Raptors Basketball, president of Giants of Africa Foundation. You are listening to the sunny side of sports on the Voice of America. On the next Straight Talk Africa, the war in Ethiopia began two years ago and it's continuing with a severe humanitarian crisis unfolding in and around Ethiopia's Tigray, Amhara and Afar regions. African Union-sponsored peace talks are underway in South Africa, but what is the path to peace for the region? Join me, Heidi Adams, for an in-depth look at the Ethiopia-Tigray war this Wednesday at 18.30 UTC. Thanks, Haiti. More basketball news. Congolese big man Oscar Shibwe is a player we should be seeing very soon in the NBA. The 22-year-old Shibwe plays for the University of Kentucky here in the USA. He's coming off a season in which he won half a dozen National Player of the Year awards. That's right. If you're keeping score, those awards are the Naismith College Player of the Year Award, the Associated Press College Player of the Year, the John R. Wooden Award, the Oscar Robertson Trophy, the National Association of Basketball Coaches Player of the Year Award, and the Sporting News Men's College Basketball Player of the Year Award. I'm thinking just based on that one season, Oscar better have a big trophy case. 
Shibwe was also a unanimous selection for the Associated Press preseason All-America team. Last season, Oscar led Division I schools in the National Collegiate Athletic Association in rebounding. He grabbed about 15 rebounds each game. And Shibwe also averaged about 17 points a game in scoring. Oscar Shibwe is from Lubumbashi in the Democratic Republic of Congo. He moved to the USA in November 2015 before his freshman year of high school. I guess you could say the sky's the limit for Oscar Shibwe and the sky's the limit for Zainab Alibhai, the first female Kenyan to be licensed as a skydiver. Hanai Bazad asked her when she made her first jump. Well, I started ju- uh, jumping in uh, 2014 in Kenya. Um, but uh, before that, I was just an interior, interior designer decorator. I had my company in, in uh, Mombasa. However, I started jumping and I was just going, doing a few uh, fun jumps here and there. Um, but I did fall into fall in love with this sport tremendously, and I thought of taking it uh, as a profession. And uh, yeah, so after that, I started traveling to different places, and uh, I got my ratings. Amazing! What does it mean? What does it bring to you uh, skydiving? It's very unusual to see a, a woman um, doing uh, skydiving and, and instructing it. Well, we do have a few female instructors all over the world. Um, where I worked in Chicago as well, we had uh, like four or five uh, female instructors there. But yes, it is very new to an Africa uh, in Africa, right? Um, it is very, it is very challenging, especially um, as a Muslim African woman. It means the world to me when I'm up there, when I'm jumping. Uh, I feel the freedom of. Uh, just being completely free and completely zen. I have tried meditation. I've tried different types of sports and whatnot, but there's nothing that compares compares to skydiving for me. Um, when I'm up in the plane and we jump out of the aircraft and you you are at in free fall, there's just absolute bliss for me. And I can tell you this from my experience that nothing compares to that moment when you are in in, in control of yourself and in in complete peaceful with yourself what has been challenging for you in this journey well there have been a, quite a few challenges for me a um female well not enough you know strength uh b uh it is a men's world out there and in any sports as well we, we always have challenges with them with the with our uh, the gender um c is my height and weight is i'm a quite a short person and uh, very petite actually but it was challenging for me to do the tandem course and the AFF course, but I pushed through it and I, I became an instructor. How did you overcome the challenges? What strengths drove you? It was all in my mind and in my heart and in my soul that I want to do this and I overcame it. It was mind beyond anything else. And would you say there's an athlete that you look up to or another role model that... Uh, that inspires you? Oh, most definitely, yes. Um, my role models are my instructors, my examiners who have taught me how to skydive. A lot of other fellow skydivers as well. I look up to people who have been in this sport for many, many years or even just a, a newbie as well. Like that person has so much courage and challenge is of their own as well. And that encourages me every day. 
to be better. And what's the best piece of advice those role models gave you? Just be you. Be, be a pit bull and yeah, be a pit bull in the sky. That's it. Fantastic. Zainab, I'd love for you to, to take us into what your life looks like now. Oh, oh my life is extremely, um, again, challenging at the moment. I have just opened the uh, skydiving drop zone in Kenya. It's called Go Jump Kenya. Uh, I am the drop zone owner. Uh, it is based in the Pingo Ridge. It was my dream a couple of years ago that once I get all my ratings and be at least uh, quite experienced enough, um, I can come back to Kenya and open the drop zones for drop zone for fellow Kenyans to enjoy the sport, to learn more about it, and just uh, you know get to know what what other activities you can do. So at the moment, I am uh, in the process of opening a drop zone, which is which is just very close by. Uh, my, my 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 other instructors are here already. Uh, and we're just hoping to start very soon. That's Zainab Alibai, the first female Kenyan to be licensed as a skydiver. And she spoke with Hanai Bazad from Kenya. Hi, guys. I'm Ferdinand Omanyala, the fastest man in Africa, African 100-meter record holder. And now you're listening to Sunny Side of Sports on The Voice of America. VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music, from bubu music to hip life, bonga flavor to sukus, Afrobeat to Ndombolo and Makosa to Kwaito. The African beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 09.05 and 20.05 UTC, right after the international news. Thanks, David. That's David Vandy, the host of the VOA's African Beat music show. Back on the FIFA World Cup beat, we're now 26 days away from the kickoff of football's premier event in Qatar. Qatar will host Ecuador November 20th in the opening match. Qatar tourism officials say fans traveling to the country will be treated to very pleasant weather and unique experiences inside and outside the stadiums. VOA's Gwen Uden tells us more. Sporty greetings, Gwen! Sporty greetings, Sunny. The 2022 Qatar World Cup is set to take place in the smallest nation to host soccer's biggest event. And with every stadium located within 35 miles of the capital city, Doha, this year's global showcase will also be the most compact in the tournament's history. Qatar has a population of about 2.8 million people, and the country is now bracing for an influx of nearly 1.2 million fans for the upcoming tournament. And those who travel from their corner of the world will fly to the host nation on Qatar Airways, the official airline of FIFA. The airline flies to more than 150 destinations around the globe, but but Qatar Airways CEO Akbar Al-Bakar says the airline has cut service to 18 countries to make room at Hamad International Airport for the arrival of World Cup fans. We have reduced and withdrew from 18 destinations in order uh, to make space at Hamad International for new airlines to come that will bring fans. Our priority 
is today not Qatar Airways Network. Our priority is to give access to all the countries that need, who are participating and need to bring large numbers of passengers. And I'm very happy to say that we have many airlines that are now applying to come to Hamad International for the first time. Passengers will be swept up in all the football excitement long before they touch down in Qatar thanks to in-flight World Cup-themed products, souvenirs, and a special FIFA dining menu to celebrate the upcoming tournament. And those who are scheduled to arrive in Qatar after the opening kickoff won't miss a thing. World Cup matches will be live-streamed on all incoming flights. Five airlines and a number of carriers will run hundreds of shuttle flights per day and hundreds more charter flights and private jets. Due to limited accommodations in Qatar, thousands of visitors will need to be shuttled in from neighboring countries to attend World Cup matches. But Qatar Tourism Chief Operating Officer Berthold Trenkel says once fans arrive, they'll discover the host nation has plenty to offer. Probably when it comes to tourism, what most people look for is sun, sea and sand. Don't forget, this World Cup will play in the winter. But Qatar, the temperatures will be amazing. At night, 16 degrees. During the day, 24. It's very pleasant. It will be really good, obviously, for the football players. And the weather will be blue sky probably through the entire tournament. I doubt we will see even one drop of rain. Qatar, in the Middle East, we have lots of deserts, lots of sand. Uh, sea line, which is the starting point for most of those tours, again, around about 45 to 50 minutes drive from the city center Doha. From there, you, camels will greet you at the beginning. The east, west, west, east is an outdoor piece of art that's, I think, somewhere like three to four kilometers big if you go from the first to the last steel plate. And it's embedded in a valley, which is also very stunning because you can climb up a little bit on the sidelines and have a view on the t- whole valley. But more interesting is actually you either go dune bashing with one of the Land Cruiser's SUVs, but you better have a driver who knows how to drive. Driving on sand and sliding down a sand dune is something unique. And Qatar World Cup Chief Executive Officer Nasser al Khatar promises travelers from around the globe will have the ultimate fan experience on and off the pitch. There's about 90-plus attractions, sites to visit, This is in addition to all the um, entertainment and roaming acts that you will find across the city in Sugwagif and Imshirib. So we have curated and planned for for a fan experience like no other. This will be an experience for fans that can watch more than one match a day. They can leave the stadium and find an array of things to do uh, and to enjoy here in Qatar during their stay. Qatar Tourism has set a target to attract over 6 million international visitors per year by 2030. And Berthold Trankel hopes the spotlight on this year's World Cup tournament will help erase long-held misconceptions about the Gulf state. I think there is an opportunity to reset some of the misconceptions. The first misconception is that the Middle East is not safe or that Qatar is not safe. In fact, statistically speaking... Qatar is the safest country on the planet. And people will go home and definitely know that because Qatar is really safe. Second one is obviously people are not sure. How does it work with the Middle East? How do I need to behave? 
and they will all go home and say it's actually no different than at home. It's humans living in a city, but surrounded by beautiful nature. So that's the second misconception. The third one, hopefully, people will come home and say Qatar is an extremely hospital country, and Arabian hospitality is world-renowned. The official countdown continues to Qatar 2022, the first World Cup in history to be held in the Middle East. The tournament kicks off on November 20th, and FIFA and Qatar organizers say nearly 3 million tickets have been sold. And that is all from me, Sonny. Back over to you. Thanks, Gwen. That's my VOA colleague, Gwen Uten. I encourage our sunny side of sports listeners to go to voaafrica.com. At the top of the page, you'll see a banner, FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022, with lots of information about football's premier event. Wraps up the October 25th edition of the show. Thank you for tuning in. I get it. VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. And that's the sunny side of sports.